0: Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B. Where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're gonna be talking about managing boundaries with family and friends who have different opinions about how to handle COVID-19. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you wanna know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. Now let's get started. In today's episode, managing boundaries with family and friends who have different opinions about COVID 19. Different opinions in general, different opinions in emergencies, and just, you know, specific differences about COVID 19. Here's the problem we're dealing with friends and family who often have different exposure levels to coronavirus or COVID 19 and maybe have different opinions and values regarding the necessary precautions that need to be taken regarding COVID-19. And there's a full spectrum of differences in, in terms of this virus. So some people say, it's a hoax. Other people say, kids don't get it, kids are fine. Other people say, wearing a mask is unhealthy and sometimes can cause health problems for the person wearing the mask. Other people say it's a violation of my civil rights to make me wear a mask. Then on the flip side of that, we have people who take COVID-19 very seriously and say things like this is a very serious illness and it's a potentially deadly disease or we're not having any contact with people outside of our bubble or our family or we only go out when necessary and with masks and physically distancing we're going on close to seven months of sheltering in place that's that's a long time we've been sheltering in place in one form or another since March, really, mid March. I believe in where I live, it became the law or the rule on March 15th. And I had literally just arrived home uh, off of a plane at an airport two days before that. So, but we've been sheltering in place for seven ish months now. That means no school no restaurants, no haircuts, no bars, no parties, no weddings, baby showers, birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, or any other celebrations except over Zoom in theory. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is practicing those, you know, sheltering in place rules, but in theory, that's kind of what we're living in the world of, that that's, that's, how, we, that's how it is right now. So, people are getting restless, and in, and in some cases, they're letting the pressure get to them and starting to slip and slide and changing the rules. So, what do we do? What do we do with that when, you know, we thought it was going to last two weeks, maybe two months, but now we're, we're really pushing on a year, and In my mind, I don't think we're gonna be prepared to not shelter in place until after the first of the year, meaning 2021. All right, so let's just start with a personal story. I lean on the safe over sorry side of the spectrum. Everyone in our house works from home. We're very fortunate. You know, this isn't the case for everybody, so I'm only speaking from my privileged position and my family's privileged position of being able to work at home. And my son, he's in in college and he's going to school from home. So in that sense, this isn't the case for everybody. So I just want to acknowledge and recognize my privilege in that arena and our privilege. But in our family, we started off really not seeing anybody. We literally had our household pretty much locked down. So, that um, meant we didn't see my daughter, my son-in-law, my granddaughter for, gosh, a couple of months, which was very unusual for us because they live in the same town. They're at our house very frequently. And so, that became really difficult after some time, and then we had to sit down and have a conversation because we had to weigh the the damages. Not seeing each other and staying connected, particularly with my young granddaughter, was what do we do with that compared to the risk around COVID? And if we're all practicing the same safety measures, is it okay for us to have a free flow within our house? So after that conversation, we did, we created a bubble that included them in our house or us in their house. So we all only go out, you know, my daughter's family and our family, we only go out with masks when necessary. We don't spend time with people who are not in our bubble, you know, in our space. This means that we have not seen some of our close family members for over 6 months. That includes my oldest son. Remember if you've seen heard any of my episodes like he's a, he's a frontline worker at a grocery store and he isn't he's exposed to a lot of people and so we haven't seen him. I talk to him on the phone and I message with him regularly, but that's just the situation it is now. And his siblings, his younger brother and sister, and their families are the same way with him and his girlfriend. So that's a really long time, though, to not actually physically lay eyes on your child. But so what, what, what can happen? Tensions rise when people don't share the same views on COVID-19, or have different levels of risk aversion about this disease. We're moving into what I think is going to be a very, very dangerous time period because as it gets colder, people are going to spend more time inside. When people spend more time inside, there's more germ spreadage because People are indoors. The temperatures are higher. That feeds the growth of infection. And so this allows for more germ spreading. And the new conversation, and I keep hearing this, and I feel like every time I hear this on the news or read a headline about, you know, we're talking about sending kids around TK to sixth grade back to school, that I have a little panic Twinge because as an early childhood professional and a clinical psychologist with a with a primary focus on uh, pediatrics, I feel like we have we're trying to fill in our our confirmation bias with this idea that children aren't at risk of COVID nineteen, and I don't believe that to be true, and I think that we can look at the data, and the risk is higher than we really all want to believe. So again, this perfect storm for germ spreading. If we send our youngest children back to school, we've already seen what happens when we send our oldest kids in college back to school. We've had massive exposure and outbreaks. So Why we have this fantasy that it's going to be different when we send our youngest kids who actually have a significantly higher amount of germ, a higher amount of germs in their nasal passages than an adult, it's going to, why we think that's going to be any different or less infectious is kind of beyond me. We're coming into flu season which will also cause way more chaos. There will be confusion between these two diseases. Are the symptoms related to the flu? Are the symptoms related to COVID? There's going to be higher levels of stress because that's what, that's what chaos and confusion does. It elevates people's stress level, which what happens when we elevate our stress level? Oftentimes our immune system is compromised. And so there's just this, this, the floodgates gonna open as we, we zoom into, let's see on Tuesday, we open the door to fall, the season of fall, and then we're gonna go right on into winter. So the stress is gonna fill over, or fill, the stress will spill over into irritation and aggravation in relationships. And that's really difficult because here we are in close contact with people much more frequently than normal, you know, when people are out running around, the irritation and aggravation will, you know, impact those relationships. And that's not a good thing either in families and friendships. So the next thing or the last thing is cabin fever and that feeling of being trapped stuck inside, walls closing in. By definition, cabin fever is sort of this combination of anxiety and exhaustion that leads to not doing things normally. We actually begin to change how we do things when we start to feel and experience cabin fever. Now, cabin fever is not a diagnosis. It's not a psychological disorder. It's really a state of being but it's a, it's it's relevant to this experience of covid-19 and sheltering in place because we're many of us are starting to feel cabin fever and needing to be adaptable to our environment. Now fortunately humans are highly adaptable and once they start doing things a certain way for you know, a relatively short amount of time, they start to adapt to it and accommodate and make things different. That leads me into the optimism and resilience around this particular situation in terms of, you know, managing boundaries and managing difference with family and friends. So the optimistic side of that is that we're, we've now been in this situation long enough that we're starting to make adaptations. And as we've made those adaptations, as hard as they were at the beginning, there are several things, particularly in my own life that I recognize. And I think, oh my gosh, I actually really like this. I'm not gonna go back to doing this the old way because I kind of like the new way better. I just never would have gotten to the new way had I not been forced to do so. So we don't spend anywhere near enough time learning how to talk about things that make us feel uncomfortable. You know, this isn't a class in school that you take. You know, people take communication class, but personal communication isn't something that's really valued in terms of learning the techniques to have a productive conversation, particularly when there's conflict or disagreement about the topic. So, we're not comfortable being uncomfortable, which I like to say because one of one thing that's really important for people to learn is to get comfortable being uncomfortable at least long enough to have a healthy conversation and not destroying a relationship just because you feel uncomfortable about something. Being in this situation is going to cause conflict, but it's also going to force people to have conversations about that conflict, hopefully, and learn healthier ways to make decisions about setting boundaries and what makes sense and what makes everybody feel safe and good about their choices under these really stressful circumstances and situation. Another part of this that's really optimistic and resilience building is learning how to set boundaries. Boundaries are so important for all of us and talking about them in healthy ways is even more so. We don't do it very often, so we're not always great at it. And COVID-19 is forcing us to continually adjust our boundaries in terms of what's happening sort of at the time and what's the data around COVID-19 in our area or in our particular environment or in schools. So it's forcing us to really be on alert and think about, okay, what are my boundaries in terms of people coming over to my house? Or what are my boundaries around going to a different location where other people may be People may be in close contact with each other or may or may not be wearing masks. Like, what are the boundaries? And when we, when we think about that ahead of time, then we feel more confident setting those boundaries and following through. Setting boundaries is giving people the opportunity to learn how to follow through on a decision that they've made, even when it feels a little bit uncomfortable, and how to model setting boundaries and following through for their children. And that's, that's, a, that's really important. And this is the perfect situation. It's the perfect storm, so to speak, in terms of learning a new skill around communication and around boundary setting that can last long and far beyond COVID-19. Because I do believe we will get to a vaccine. We will get to a place where we're not as confined to sheltering in place. And and we're going to get back to a lot more of the freedoms that we've had before. All right. So what are some actionable takeaways around managing the boundaries with our families and friends, particularly when we have differences of opinions? Because that's the difference of opinion that really creates the problem. It's not a problem if we're managing boundaries, but we all have the same boundaries, so it's easy. What becomes the problem is that we're trying to manage boundaries and set limits with people that we love and care about and often trust and just happen to have a different way of looking at risk in terms of covid 19 so what are the actionable takeaways one of the actionable takeaways is remember anxiety and depression and just that cat that feeling of cabin fever is one of the problems that that gets in the way of making good decisions so now that we're pushing into this you know, We're over the half of a year mark and it's looking like we're going to be going on for quite a bit longer. It's important for people to find ways to get sunlight and UV rays. So I'm going to put a plug out there for figuring out how to get some UV lighting in your house, in your office, in your space in order to keep up your vitamin D because all of this really does contribute to your not being held hostage by sort of the darkness and the depression of SAD, which is seasonal affective disorder that can affect everybody. And in this year, particularly, I think it's going to be really, really high and intense. So another thing is activating your endorphins. You know, we've talked about brain chemistry and we've talked about brain chemicals before in the past, but endorphins make us feel better. And the way we activate endorphins is through laughter or exercise or both. And so an actionable takeaway is to literally make an endorphin plan. Find a whole list of comedies that you want to either, you know, watch on TV or movies or whatever. Make an exercise plan. I know that can be a hard one because none of us really love to exercise all the time. However, both are good for us and help us to keep this boundary setting process in perspective with people we love because it it never feels good to be in conflict. So the next actionable takeaway is staying connected. Staying connected by phone, by video calls, even by online gaming. You know, I have a son who's an online gamer and so he is often talking about his friend so and so in Australia, his friend so and so in wherever Denver. And you know, places all over the the country and the world, really. So that's great. Staying connected. It doesn't have to be your neighbor or friend down the street. It can be somebody online. That's great. Building a supportive network on social media. Now, the key focus needs to be on supportive network, not getting on social media and being stuck with this negativity and the back and forth that of angry disagreements around politics and COVID-19 ideas and all the racial issues and all of those things. Yes, it's important to have an opinion. It's important to be active about your opinion and to move in ways that make meaningful change. But social media can be a real depressing and aggravating place to be. So what I'm saying is build supportive networks. Unfriend people who can't be be friendly or who can't be in a supportive network. All right, another one and probably the last and most important is communicate with family and friends about how you can stay connected. If you have a family member or friends who you really love and care about, like we can't let COVID-19 destroy our relationships just because we have different opinions about how to approach this disease. So we need to find ways to talk about it and not be unkind and stay connected. So let's say we're going to be masked and physically distanced but get together at an outside space. and you know, stay apart, be masked, but ha- stay connected. That's a great that's a great sort of give. You get to be together in person, but you're not indoors, unmasked, sitting next to each other on the couch. So somebody feels at risk and the other person feels normal. It needs to be a 50, 50 or close. Also, another thing to do is to create a bubble. Like, like when my daughter and I were starting to really feel the weight of our separation, we sat down and we had a conversation or I don't think we sat down, we actually got on the phone and had a conversation and said, okay, what is our commitment to our bubble? Who are we gonna see? How are we gonna do this? What's the deal? And we created a bubble and we've now kept that bubble and it's working really well for us and our family, our, both of our families, really. And it's keeping all of us from de- falling into more of those depressive feelings that can happen. The last but not least, talk regularly, but without physical contact. You don't have to be in the space with somebody to get them on the phone or to get them on Skype or FaceTime or whatever. And having open conversations help all of us feel more in control of any situation. So when we, uh, I talk about this all the time, when you bring something from the unconscious to the conscious, or when you bring something from the untalked about to the talked about, it feels better. And even though it can be scary, you definitely feel more control about the situation after you've had a conversation like that. So acknowledging that you don't have to agree But you do have to respect each other's boundaries and choices can be highly empowering. And that's what we're really looking for because we don't want to destroy relationships during this really high need experience in our lives. But at the same time, we all have to feel good about taking care of ourselves and our family and our friends in the ways that make sense to us. So with that, I say leave a life print, love your friends, love your family, and I will see you next time. Well, I'll talk to you next time. Love you, bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B, it's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now go leave a life friend.